that, that is a that is a tough reading. And uh, Laurie, Laurie came this morning, and she had a folder, and she had seven different versions of that that she had read all of them and was willing to read any one of them and and she said this is hard it, it, it's worse than having to read about the parasites and the amalekites and all of that i i want to tell you larry i heard one guy who read it and when he got to the end of the the thing i want to do i don't do and the thing i want to do i don't do he just went doobie doobie doo and uh, I don't, I, I'm not sure that counts as reading, but that was just the feeling he had by the time he got through the end of the reading. It was just, it was just going everywhere. And so if you uh, leave this morning and uh, the rest of your life, you think of this as the doobie doobie doo reading, I guess I'll have to answer for that uh, somewhere uh, down the road. Well, the the center of our lesson this morning is uh, Romans chapter 7. And for many of us, uh, it's almost as if Romans uh, chapter 7 is lifted up out of the the text and out of the flow of Romans. And, And we would really maybe like to have Romans 6 lead right into Romans 8. That it would be simpler in ways. And it might be simpler to read, but it would not be the truth as Paul wants to tell it. Paul wants to Paul wants to tell a truth here, a truth that we might sense deep in ourselves. A truth that we sense deeply in ourselves that if he doesn't say it out loud, we might believe he doesn't know. That he doesn't know the way of the human heart. That he doesn't know the the process of salvation and sanctification, of, of being saved out of darkness and the process of being made holy. We might suspect... That he's some illusionist who makes things look better than they are. And we might walk away and say, like people do sometimes to religious folk, you're just not in touch. So we want to let Paul speak what he wants to say. And what we have heard uh, from the beginning of Romans is that Paul is serious about sin and salvation. That he believes that there is a, a good news, a gospel, in which there is real salvation that is by faith and from faith to faith. And he told us, That those who had lived without the law fell into sin. And those who were living by the law did not keep it and fell into sin. So that that everyone had sinned and not just sinned but was in sin and had fallen short of the glory of God. But with that being said, he, he puts his shoulder into the text and begins to talk about what has happened in Jesus. That in Jesus, a new Adam has come. 
In Jesus, a new way of being has come. In Jesus, a new creation has started. And last week we talked about how he wants to make sure that the life that is new in Christ is not used as an excuse to keep the sinful life going on some back burner. So I want to tell you this morning, and maybe you'll walk through your text with me, I want to point out to you the six, the four reasons, beginning in chapter 6, the four reasons why Christians do not continue in sin. There's four good reasons. The beginning of chapter 6, he says in verse 2, that we have died to sin and do not live in it any longer. We have been baptized into the death of Christ. We were buried with him and we have been raised from the dead through the glory of the Father that we might live a new life. The first reason that we do not continue in sin is that we have become one with the event of the gospel. The event of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. And we do not continue in sin because we have been made one with the death, burial, and resurrection in our baptism. Then he says, uh, secondly, that we do not continue in sin because we are now slaves of righteousness. In chapter 6, beginning in verse uh, 16... Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as a slave, you're a slave to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be a slave of sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching in which you were entrusted and have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Why don't Christians continue in sin? Because we have been made one with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we have been made slaves not of sin but of righteousness. In chapter 7, beginning in verse 4, Paul says, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. The verses in chapter 7 before these in 4 talk about how the one who is married, when the mate dies, they're free to remarry. And and so we, as we have joined uh, in Christ... We are no longer married. We're no longer in a relationship with sin. We're no longer in a relationship with the evil one. Now we are in a relationship. We belong to another. We belong to the Lord Christ. We are married to Jesus. And as people married to Jesus, we are led away from sin. We are, we are one with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are one as slaves of righteousness. We are one in a love relationship with Jesus. And then he says in verse 6, 
But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now we serve God by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for chapter 8 for that. He tells you that at the beginning of the don't do and I do and I don't do and I do and I do and I don't do. He tells you right there that one of the reasons that Christians are, are living away from sin is because we are no longer bound to the law, but we serve in the new way of the Spirit. So when we have the test, and I ask you, name four reasons why Christians do not want to sin anymore, then you're going to tell me the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has become a part of our life. We are slaves of righteousness. We're in a love relationship with Jesus, and we now live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's great news. But after he said all four of those things... I I sometimes forget how to do that. After he said all four of those things, then he wants to push on with the truth that we heard read this morning. We're not totally unaware of what the law does in our life. The beginning of chapter 7, he says he's writing to people who know the law. So, so maybe in his, his Roman audience, the, the, the Jewish Christians are perking up their ears. But he says in a, in a very clear way um, that I would not have known what sin was except through the law. The law cannot save me. But the law does help me know how lost I am. The law helps me understand where my lostness runs, where the oar, where the the stripe of the oar of of my, my lostness, where that flaw that runs through me is. It helps me know that. I'm not necessarily going to be a person that gets to, to violate all of the Ten Commandments. But I know which of the commandments are especially troublesome to me. I may be thoroughly enjoying keeping the Sabbath. But when it comes to wanting what other people have and being angry at God because what I have doesn't measure up to what they have... You've heard me say before, I didn't even know what it was to want my neighbor's bass boat until I heard, you shall not covet your neighbor's bass boat. Then suddenly I looked at it. It was an inboard. Suddenly I looked at it. It had, it had a live well. Suddenly I looked at it and it wasn't mine. It was his. And so now, I've sent him a note that says, if he dies, and I hope it's soon, I would love to have his bass boat. Sabbath, I'm fine. Coveting, not so much. 
I don't know. I don't know. And, and then I just want to throw this in. Imagine me walking over there. What Jesus did when he came and gave us the Sermon on the Mount is just up the ante. The Sermon on the Mount is, is not really our get-out-of-jail-free sermon. It's the sermon that says, Oh, you thought by not killing you were okay? How about hatred? Well, that's, not in the, that's not in the ten. That's not in the Ten Commandments. No, Jesus says, I know. Hatred. Calling somebody a fool. Oh, not, adultery. Oh, well, just looking at someone and, and thinking, boy, if I could only have them, would my life be great? Jesus comes in and, and systematically makes the thou shalt nots of the law more comprehensive. You think you've got a little righteousness going now? I tell you, now we're going to talk righteousness. And, spoiler alert, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is going to lead us to be people who more and more can keep the demands of the Sermon on the Mount. True. But for right now, at the beginning, at the shallow end of the Christian life, at the beginning part, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, what do we do with these words that point out to us even more clearly how flawed we are? The law is good. The Sermon on the Mount's great. What's the problem? I'm the problem. I'm the problem. And, and I tend to believe, I don't tend to believe, I believe. I believe that this is written to Christians. I don't believe this is written to somebody over there trying to keep the law. This isn't written to the Pharisees. I think it is written to Christians because they need to hear this truth. Because don't, don't, we, don't we know this? Don't we know what... Don't we know that all rule keeping, all rule keeping as a way of escape from who we are in this life, all rule keeping fails? Don't we know that? How many of you have the Ten Commandments for raising children on your refrigerator? How, how many of you get through a day without knocking one of those off? How many of you have got the, 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 the rules for how to amass a fortune and retire in a good way? How, how many of you have how to be happily married? How to, just, just pick a set of rules. Go, go to the bookstore. Go to the bookstore and get one of those books, 39 Ways to a Better Life. Before you get through reading the 39 ways, you will have already violated a handful of them. Because one of them is don't read a book all at one setting. 
because law law tells us something about ourselves this is what we need to hear in Romans chapter 7 Paul says it clearly, and and for years I didn't understand it, and I may not understand all of it now, and and, and really, aren't we all going to go to Paul's class on Romans when we get to heaven? I got some serious questions about Romans, and some of them are in this chapter, in 9 through 11, we really got to have a talk. But in this place... Paul says, there's a part of me that really loves God. There's a part of me that really, really loves God. And there's a part of me that really loves me. It really loves me. It really loves my urges. It really loves my passions. It really loves my power. It really loves me. And and here I am living a life I didn't even understand before, but now in Christ I am aware that I have an old self and a new self. I have a self that has grown up in the, in the home that I grew up in. I have a self that learned to navigate the eccentricities of my family. I have a self that, that learned what I in my flesh likes. I have a self that has developed, built around and navigating the things that hurt me. And how I can escape those hurts by relying on my own heart and my own flesh. I have a a lost self that has been the best I could do without Jesus. And the law comes up next to my lost self and goes, let's just see how your lost self looks and the law and laws and the rules and all kinds of rules tell me that my bent folded spindled and mutilated first self cannot be what God wants it to be But in Christ, something remarkable begins to happen. I have the opportunity to have a spiritual renewal that begins with a promise that it can be done. With a promise in baptism that you've been buried with Christ and you've been raised with Christ and you're no longer a slave to sin and you're a slave to righteousness and you're in a love relationship with Jesus and you are now walking by the Spirit. And so now when you take your brokenness, when you take your bifurcated life, when you take the you that you have had all your life and the you that you now have begun in Jesus Christ... Jesus says, walk with me. Walk with me.
I asked Mitch if I could have a few verses in chapter 8, and he was gracious enough to let me have a few. Don't miss next week, Romans 8. You read all the way through this part of Romans just to get to Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met. Jesus has come and he has paid the price for all of our brokenness. And he has put us in a place where we can now live into the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God can live into us. That we can live into this love relationship with Jesus. And, and though we fail, though sometimes we, we don't do the good we, we, we can see, we don't end up doing it. Jesus has come and allows us a life that is not condemned by these mistakes. But we are pulled forward into greater and greater righteousness by not letting sin have power over us. Sin no longer has the power to kill us. Sin no longer has the power to discourage us. Sin no longer has the power to make us quit, to leave Jesus and leave the life and say, I'm done. I just can't do it. I'm done. I'm done. Now we can stare into the wretched person that I am mirror and know that there is life. Thanks be to God who has delivered us in Jesus Christ. This does not give us the right to continue in sin. It gives us the freedom, as the old desert father said, every day I begin again. Every day I begin again. Every day I begin again knowing the weakness of my flesh and the power of the Spirit. Every day I begin again with gentle noticing of my failures and my flaws and a deep commitment to live further into the life of Jesus today. Every day I begin again moving just a little further away from the power of my flesh and a little further into the reign of Christ by the Holy Spirit in my life. Today, maybe you are deeply in touch with how broken you are. And maybe today you are deeply in touch with, with feelings that, that there's hardly any hope for you. And, and maybe you are 
in touch with feelings like these religious folks. They're just nuts. They're hypocrites. They say they want to have this great life and, and, and they sin just like the rest of us. I don't know where you are today, but I, I do want you to know that the truest thing we can say about ourselves in Christ is that we're not all there yet. And, and if someone says, aha, I've caught you being less than you hope to be. That's not a surprise to me. I think of that hypocrite accusation now and then. The people trying to follow Jesus are the only people who can be that. <laughs> can be accused of that. Where, where somebody says, I don't think you're trying very hard. And you go, you don't know what it's like in here. You don't, you don't know what it's like with this heart. You don't know what it's like with this pain. You don't, you don't know what it's like. I've invited Jesus into my heart. I, I've been buried with Christ. I've been raised in the likeness of the resurrection. I, I'm a slave of righteousness. I'm, I'm, I'm married to Jesus and the Holy Spirit is living my life. And I want you to know today, this is the best I could be. I want to be better tomorrow. But as I put my head on my pillow tonight, I put my head on the pillow of salvation and I wake into a morning of hope <laughs>